Welcome everybody to another Wealthy Podcast. And today I have Michelle Chaselski from Knight Frank. She is the head of residential research. Um, and I'm a big fan of her. I've been watching and following her on LinkedIn. So if you're not already, add her on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> she has just recently pushed out a um, Knight Frank uh, wealth report. And there's a wealth of knowledge in there that we've been able to sort of unpack. But today we're actually going to be talking about a wide set of topics. Michelle, thank you for jumping on the show today. Thank you so much for having me on. It's, it's taken a little while for us to connect and, and get this. We're both on the same page at the same time to, to make this happen. But thank you so much for inviting me along. Much, much appreciated. Now, um, I'd love to just sort of jump straight in and ask you about 2022. I mean, you're very fortunate to be sitting at the table and having so many different research analysts around you from a global stage and just different parts of the market. What are the key themes or trends that you're paying attention to for 2022? And can I just understand a little bit why and what you anticipate happening? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I we can't really talk about 2022 unless we talk about what's happened, I guess, over <clears throat> the past two years. And I, I guess it's, it's quite interesting being here in Australia that, um, you know, we have seen wealth creation happen through a global pandemic. And it's not only happened here in Australia, but it's also happened uh, around the world. Um, when we, we sort of started to head into this pandemic um, in 2020, Australia certainly handled... Um, the, I guess, the, the response quite differently to others around the world. Um, and as a result, you know, we did see um, our, our mainstream market. So when uh, we're talking about, you know, the residential market here at um, Knight Frank, the mainstream market is, you know, your everyday market. Uh, we did see that, you know, pause um, and, you know, I guess uh, investors and owners take stock of where we were. There was so much uncertainty um, as we were, you know, month by month, um, you know, coming into... Uh, you know, I guess the second half of 2020, but what we saw through that time was so much wealth um, essentially um, being accumulated. So we sort of saw that savings effect in 2020. And then what we saw in 2021 was people thinking, well, I actually, I haven't traveled. I have, you know, I have got a little bit more money in the bank than what I normally would. And it was about um, what do I do with that money? We saw, you know, the rise of, um, you know, the technology space, we saw people consider and certainly invest uh, into, you know, cryptocurrencies. Um, but at the end of the day, Australians really do like to um, have a property that they own of, of their own, um, but then also, you know, aspire, I guess, to have an investment portfolio. So when we look at like wealth um, being generated at the, I guess, the top echelon, when we look at wealth um, here at Knight Frank, we tend to um, I guess we're talking about the ultra wealthy population that have more than 30 million US, um, including their home. So it's really, you know, we're talking about the, the top, top echelon of our uh, population um, in, in terms of, uh, of wealth. And I guess the reason why we really like to understand this population is that I guess the level of wealth um, and this wealthy population, they have a huge influence on what happens in our markets. And so I guess they tend to, in some ways, take risks where others may not. Um, and we can, I guess, as in the mainstream market, understand, I guess, where the, the market's going. You know, did it work for them? And then I guess, you know, we tend to follow suit. It's quite an interesting um, 
uh, I guess, leadership that they take, whether they are in their own business or what have you, but they tend to then lead the, the market with um, some of their uh, some of the opportunities that can come through for the mainstream market. So I guess taking this all together, this wealth conversation, um, you know, property, <laughs> whether it was residential, I guess, even to, to some um, extent uh, uh, commercial, but without a doubt, you know, residential property was the, the hero um, over the past 12 months. Um, and when we're talking about that ultra wealthy population, we really started to see not only the prime market, which we consider to be the top 5% perform really well, but the top 1%. So that super prime space was just off the charts. Um, so it was very evident with um, that ultra wealthy population not necessarily traveling around the world. They were here in Australia on home soil and they reinvested their money um, and, and we just saw, um, you know, more wealth being created as a result. You know, we saw the stock market perform reasonably well um, in 2021. Um, we saw, you know, other, I guess, business ventures take off. Uh, and as a result, you know, that, that property mark, the property market uh, followed suit. So if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like the property market has uh early movers or first movers are the ultra high net worths. It is the ultra wealthy that sort of move the fastest. They've got more information that they're available to them. We saw them fly to quality to their own homes, investing back at home and to having these, these beautiful homes and, and to, to use the additional cash back here. And then there was a flow on effect where we saw a lot of other Australians doing the same thing we had clients that came as a result of that. They had deposits that they were going to go and use in Europe that they ended up saving and buying houses and making hundreds of thousands of dollars on their original investment. So that was one of the key themes that I saw as well. Now, going into 2022, do you anticipate uh, much of a change or do you think it's going to be more of the same? Like, Do you, do you anticipate that 20, 30% growth or are there headwinds that are pushing this market in another direction? Yeah, look, there's there's certainly, you know, a, a, a huge amount of factors to consider for 2022. The fact that our borders have reopened has just opened up the world again to Australians to travel, uh, but also to invest. Um, we have a situation where not only is the world open to us, but Australia is now open to others to come to, to Australia to live, to work, to, you know, to holiday. It's, it's quite, um, I guess, a, an interesting scenario that when we did see, um, you know, at the start of the pandemic, we saw, you know, vacancies rise um, quite significantly in our two major capital cities being um, mostly in Melbourne and then in Sydney. But we've really seen those vacancies taper back. So if we just look at, um, you know, I guess that international um, population coming to Australia with the fact that they do have this opportunity. And I don't think that this will probably play out until, you know, I guess the later months of this year. But we're in a, we're in a situation where our vacancy um, in terms of an average across the country is now trending below 3%. And when we sort of hit that 3% mark is when we start talking about our markets being undersupplied. So we could easily say that for basically every capital city except for Melbourne right now is trending below, well, and in some cases, well below 3%. So to think when we do have international um, people uh, come to the country and whether that is just for working or it is to migrate here, 
one of the first things they tend to do is rent a property. So that's something that we really need to consider in 2022 is that we haven't really seen the investors um, invest in the market that we've seen in the past. So um, we, I guess we're in a situation where not only are rents rising quite rapidly, it's likely that they're going to rise even further towards the end of the year because I guess we're, we're a, a, a relatively young country um, and we need a lot of, uh, I guess, new supply to come into our markets to absorb that population growth. And we just haven't seen it. We've seen, don't get me wrong, a lot of house and land packages. We've had a lot of stimulus around that space uh, through the pandemic, um, but they tend to be geared towards owner occupiers. And it was, I guess, more of a, um, an incentive for people to okay, you know, we're in lockdown, it's time to reevaluate your life. And we've seen a lot of people make decisions that have been brought forward and possibly would not have been able to achieve for, you know, a few years down the track. So I guess I'm talking more around like the apartment space. And when we do have international people, uh, I guess, moving uh, to Australia, they tend to look to the cities first because that's where the employment is. And, uh, and also they're used to living in high rise, you know, we're in most of our cities. I guess Melbourne's somewhat an exception, but we don't have a lot of high rise in our cities. So the fact that we're not actually building a lot, you know, we've got a lot of, um, I guess, red tape around planning for some of our cities, um, but we're just not seeing enough new new apartments being built to absorb this, uh, this, um, this rise in demand that's going to come um, in, in, the, in the next uh, few months. So, you know, that's something that we really need to be mindful of. And I, get, I think that's almost, you know, the, the crux of the, the property market, um, so to speak. We know that, you know, there's certainly been people that have been you know, priced out of the market once again. There was an opportunity there that, um, you know, there were um, in our, our major capital cities that, you know, there was some opportunities there. But really, some of those have, have expired. And we know that people that are living in Sydney and Melbourne and Canberra are now sort of, sort of looking at, um, you know, that I, I want to own a piece of land or I want to own a, a, just some property. And it's that whole conversation about, um, you know, possibly buying somewhere else, but continue living in the same um, situation that they're living in now. So, you know, that I think that's almost, we, we need to keep our eye on that in 2022, because, you know, that's certainly going to be changing um, as, as the, the year goes on. You know, you, you touched on interest rates and interest rates are one that uh, I mean it's 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 a funny situation that we're at you know an all-time historic low for interest rates and we're talking about a you know perhaps a you know 25 basis point increase uh, I mean we're still going to be at an all-time you know low essentially um, environment so uh, I guess the interest rate conversation talks to you know, sentiment and people feeling confident about investing into the market. But we've got some other headwinds that we need to contend with this year. We've got a federal election coming up um, you know, by the end of the financial year. That's something that we almost see a lot of people sitting on their hands until they are comfortable that, you know, that we have gone through that election uh, period. So we have not only got um, you know, somewhat the uncertainty of the pandemic behind us, we still, there still may be more variants and we're not, you know, we're not across that yet, but there's still some other headwinds that we need to be mindful of. So that economic rebound that we saw last year certainly won't be matched this year. 
Um, but there's still opportunity for our markets to grow further by the end of this year. That's you, you touched on so many interesting points there. So I'd like to just unpack a couple of them. One, you said, well, obviously the borders are starting to open up. Tourists are coming back, students and migrants. Now, currently across the country, we're basically at 3% or less uh, as far as a, um, a vacancy rate. And that means that basically the market is undersupplied. Now, part of that as well, we've been paying attention to the supply coming to the market. And after the last boom, and then also the pandemic, we noticed that approval ratings were down very low for apartments, whereas houses was different. And you said that earlier, it was um, mostly led by homeowners, owner-occupiers, first-home buyers, government grants that pushed housing approvals up. But apartment market, there's really a big lag between uh, buying a site approval and then it being completed. So you're, the fact that we've got this pool of people coming in, looking to rent in these markets, but then also buy, but then there's an undersupply of the amount coming in. It does feel like that part of the market may move faster than some of the other parts of the market. Um, and the other thing, I guess, adding to that, which you, you've touched on is interest rates, where people in their own backyard can't afford to buy a house anymore. So they're going to look to do one of two things. I always say to you, the density or distance, move further away from where they are today, or get something a little bit smaller than smaller that they can actually go and afford. So it's, it's, it's interesting that there are some headwinds, but then there are also some tailwinds depending on what part of the market you're looking. For sure. And it depends what city you're in. It's really hard to talk about Australia. Like, it, you know, obviously we work in a, a global team and there's a lot, so many times they're like, oh, how's it, you know, how's it going in Australia? And it's like, okay, what part of Australia? And yeah. even within that part, you know, which, which sub part of that do you want to talk about? Um, but you're right. I think it, I think a lot of the, the new supply conversation um, can come back to, um, I guess, a, a government conversation around planning and allowing more development to happen. And those conversations are, are always going to be endless. You know, how long's a piece of string for a lot of these areas, a lot of redeveloped areas, a lot of new areas. But it really does come down to the developer. Like the developer needs to be in a position where they can, one, buy the site, but two, be able to, um, I guess, make it worth their while. And that's the situation we're in right now, is that sites are quite hard to come by that are well positioned. Um, and we're talking about developers that are, I guess, catering for that um, huge surge in demand um, around luxury and the, um, I guess, the downsides, and we call them right sizes here at Night Frank, where they're looking for large apartments that almost replicate their home just without all the maintenance and the yard and the tennis court and you know so forth and developers are looking at that product but very hard to find sites to necessarily deliver on that but then at the other end you've got as you mentioned those that are currently struggling to get into the market and you know that's quite concerning in Australia given that we currently have the lowest you know interest rates finance is so incredibly cheap um, and has been, it's certainly, um, you know, trending towards becoming more, um, I guess, expensive. But at the same time, you know, finance is, um, it, it's never been lower. So, sorry, the cost, to, cost of finance has never been lower. Um, so that, that like those two, for a developer to cater at both ends of the market, they're not only, um, I guess, um, trying to uh, grapple with site 
um, you know, purchasing the right site. We've now got not only pandemic induced, but even prior to the pandemic, you know, a skill shortage, you know, material shortage, construction costs that are absolutely through the roof. You've got people who aren't necessarily, um, you know, I guess um, not, not, not planning to move, but through this lockdown period have gone, you know what, <laughs> I think we might extend the back of the house. We might, you know, move that garden to be more of a lifestyle, resort style, um, outdoor area. And to get people to come in and do that is incredibly tricky because we just don't have enough skilled people um, in that space. And obviously developers are, you know, grappling with that issue as well. So there's so much um, hinging on developers developing a product um, that's not only suitable for the market and meeting the demand, but I guess um, doing it in a way that is going to meet these, this demand in the coming years, because we, we know that development site sales have, have dwindled since 2017. I, from, a two, from a 2021, it was actually better than 2020, but still nowhere near you know, the long-term average in terms of site sales that have been purchased by developers. So, you know, we're, we're back at a situation where we need the developers to, to build. And right now, it's not a great environment for them to be, to be building in, even though we know that there's the demand sitting there for, you know, luxury house-sized apartments, but also, as you said, you know, smaller apartments where people can get into the market in our major cities. And, you know, that's really interesting. You, you've touched on, again, some so many key points. I mean, building costs are going up from a number of different things, supply chains, uh, you know, obviously then there's inflation, then there's just competition on materials and also trades people. And as you are saying earlier, people had savings. So they were either, either buying a new investment or working on the, their own home or just using that money effectively. <clears throat> now, we've been talking about the major metro hubs, been talking about the, the cities, one of the big things that I've been paying attention to, um, and, and we predicted this as well, is that with the advent of, um, well, not the advent, but with uh, COVID hitting, people would move to regional centers, tree change, sea change, getting out of CBDs. With the advent of um, home offices and people being able to work remotely, um, we could see that that actually happened. Regional markets bumped, jumped in value. Is this something that is systemic? Do you think it's going to change or do you think it will normalize? Will people stay in regional centers? Will they come back to CBDs? Will there be more people moving out? Like, is this just the beginning? Were there people like me first movers and there's more to come? Yeah, look, I, it's, it's a very interesting conversation. I think this was already on people's minds prior to the pandemic um, because they were being priced out of the cities. And I guess... Um, more than ever through the pandemic, we've seen a, a rise in, um, I guess, uh, uh, um, you know, te technology being rolled out quicker than what, you know, was once anticipated by the company or, you know, a new um, uh, entrepreneur has come up with an idea that's just made things even that bit quicker <laughs> or easier to do from a regional area. So I think that was, that shift was already happening, but I guess from a, an employer point of view, it wasn't, uh, the employer wasn't necessarily meeting the employee <laughs> in that conversation. So I guess, you know, if anything, COVID um, and through the lockdown and encouraging people to work from home, I know even today in Sydney, um, you know, I heard on the radio on the way in just because of 
the extensive extensive flooding that's happening you know if you can work from home today do that like I, I wouldn't have expected that to happen you know two or three years ago <laughs> out on the radio but we've now become accustomed to that because we've had that you know that trial and quite an extent extensive trial of working from home so I guess from a, a an, in, an employer point of view they do have, um, I guess, the confidence for their employers to work remotely. Um, in saying that, um, you know, there is, it really depends on the industry that you're in. And we were sort of talking about this earlier, um, that, you know, that there's ideal situations where, um, you know, it, there's a skill shortage, we're unable to get the right people to fill the jobs. If, if it means that, you know, someone is living um, away from the city and they're able to come into the city you know, a day every fortnight or a day a month um, just to, you know, touch base with the team and, and do those face, like face-to-face -face, um, meetings that are super important. Um, I think that that's, um, you know, employers have had to accommodate that. But even, you know, where we work at night, Frank, you know, we're, we're quite a, a wide range. We've got quite a few different services. You know, I've, I'm always writing reports or, um, you know, putting together presentations. I love my quiet time to do that. So, you know, that works well for me working from home. But then there's other times when presenting to our clients and being face-to-face -face in meetings, it can, it can go so much further as well. Um, so I think it really does come back to the, you know, I guess the job that you're in. Um, but then there's people that have now experienced that and love, you know, the country or coastal lifestyle that it offers. So I think that it really is, it's almost like a piecemeal conversation. Um, it's not necessarily about those that are semi-retired doing this. It's, it's a much younger um, uh, crowd, let's say. Um, but I guess that the real test will be when people go to get their next job. That will be when people go, wow, wow. actually, I don't have as many options perhaps in this coastal town than I had if I was in the CBD. Um, quite interestingly, I've seen on a, on a few um, different job search um, ads how they're actually stating whether, you know, you're going, if this job is, um, you know, desired to be in the office or it's, a, you know, it, it's encouraged to be remote. So I think that, you know, there'll be businesses that benefit from having people remotely working and, you know, happy employees that they can do the, um, you know, the country living plus, you know, sit into a conversation that's on a global call um, it really does come down to, um, I guess, that um, the flexibility that the workplace offers. And, and then that, like, I guess that's almost the starting point, but it's then looking at from a residential point of view, making our homes accommodate those that are working from home. I think that, you know, once you've made that decision, it's not a matter of, you know, working from the kitchen table. You know, you need to have a nice setup. You need to have, you know, the, the chair <laughs> positioned correctly. It's not sitting on a stool at the bench um, where people may have done temporarily over the, um, the, the lockdown period. So, you know, it's, it's about making sure that our homes equip um, those people that are uh, planning to do that. So I guess when we're looking at um, the, I guess, the, the wealthier population, um, and by all means, you know, it's certainly happening in the mainstream market as well, we do have people that are I guess, doing the whole co-primary um, situation as well, where they may have a, a country home or a coastal home that they're actually enjoying as a holiday home. So, sorry, it used to be the holiday home, but they would, you know, maybe go on the weekend, every couple of weekends, they, you know, they'd be down there. 
but it's now really about, um, I guess, spending 50-50% of the time in, in both um, places. Um, and I, it's funny, like I sort of say, having a toothbrush in both places, because it means that, you know, you're really, you know, moving quite um, easily between the two homes. Um, but, you know, we, we do know that our, you know, ultra wealthy clients are looking at having a, a coastal home, a country home, but also having somewhere in the city so that when they do come up for their meetings or, um, you know, whatever business that they're uh, undertaking, that it's an easy process. It's not checking into the hotel and making sure that, oh, you know, you know, um, got to get car parking and all this kind of business. It's really about having a place for them to, you know, to um, a city pad essentially to do their business while they're here. So I think that, that you know, that it's a really hard um, a question because it, it really depends on people's situations. But if more than, any, more than anything, um, I know talking to our office leasing team, you know, there's people still, um, you know, looking for more office space than what they have prior to the pandemic. So it just really depends on what business you're, uh, you're working in. So it sounds like it's too early to tell whether this is going to be a big systemic change, but based on what you've experienced around the office and from people that you're working with, as you said earlier, the ultra high net worth and people that have got a bit more money, mm -hmm. they are looking at this as a systemic change. They are looking at having dual homes, you know, the crash pad in the city, but then also something that's a bit more tranquil. But in the same breath, you are saying that there's still a lot of businesses looking for places for lease and the cities are still filling up. So I guess that the jury's out on this one. We'll have to check back in another six or 12 so months and see. I know, like I'm in the office today and like I was saying to you earlier, you know, we've got 60 people that have come together for a morning tea here this morning and it's... Um, you know, we're, we're not, at, we're, that's not full strength, but we know that we've got the technology that people that were working for home heard the same message. Um, and, you know, coming together, those people that are regulars in the office thrive off the conversation at the water cooler, in the kitchen, um, you know, just hearing snippets of information, like even as a researcher, um, he, you know, overhearing conversations where I can go, hey, what were you just, you know, what blah, 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 you know, talking about auctions or something, and then we can start, you know, a conversation. I wouldn't have heard that if I was at home. So there's so much, um, so much that can be gained from being in the office. Don't get me wrong. Um, but at the same time, I think that we do need to have our homes that are suitable to have um, more work um, activity being done from them so you know th that's one of the bigger themes and that's i'd like to sort of shift gears just a little bit i'm conscious of time as well because you're a busy lady um I, do you feel comfortable commenting on on the current unrest in europe and what what you may what you anticipate will happen on the real estate markets here in australia if if any um obviously war and you know, civil unrest is a very sensitive topic to a lot of people. And I'd hate to distill it down to economics and, and, you know, what impact this will have in Australia. But these are things that people are thinking about. And have you got some comments on that? Yeah, look, I, I don't have too many comments on that, given, you know, it's quite early on. And, and we certainly pay our respects to those people that are, um, you know, being displaced because of, um, uh, you know, what's going on in Europe. Um, I guess, you know, looking at the, um, the Australian property market, we, we don't see um, a, a huge amount of investment from um, that part of Europe. 
Um, we, if anything, even Europe itself, we don't see a huge amount of investment here in Australia. Um, so when we, uh, you know, in terms of buyers, um, you know, we, we primarily see our buyers from, uh, from Asia and we are actually seeing an uptick in inquiries and also um, those that are purchasing here in Australia. So when we um, uh, basically, uh, you know, essentially closed our borders, we still saw in those first couple of months um, through the pandemic, we, there was a really favourable currency play. Um, and so we did see a lot of um, Asian investors look to Australia in that time, just because that currency was to an advantage. But since that time, the currency hasn't been hugely favourable to buy residential property here. And obviously our prices have escalated as well through that time. So overall, international investment has been um, quite slim in Australia over the past two years. Um, but, you know, as our borders uh, reopen, as I said, I think that we will we'll start to see more uh, Asia um, interest in uh, Australian properties. And that will certainly, as we know, um, it, uh, any international investor must be a resident here to buy an established home. So if they are buying the, um, the new um, apartments, then they're actually adding to our rental stock. So that will be a, a, a certainly welcomed um, in a many of our uh, capital cities, just purely because we haven't had enough in that um, rental pool uh, of late. And do you, and have you heard um, any rumours of government potentially looking at you know, making it easier for investors, international investors to come back because we had that run in 2018. And soon after we created the tax or stamp duty was much more expensive for those purchases. And the tap basically turned off overnight. There were no more international, much, much less international investors. Are there any rumors that the government may be looking at making it easier for international investors to buy back in Australia or buy in Australia? Yeah, look, it's it's almost a, it's a state by state conversation for sure. Um, you know, without a doubt, you know, adding those foreign investor fees um, did may have an impact um, in the the I guess the cities where those um, state uh, decisions were made. Uh, we do have an overarching you know investor fee um, that's that's at a federal level. Um, I, I haven't heard anything around that, um, but if we are in a situation where we need to encourage more foreign investment into Australia, that would certainly, that there's, there's space um, in those fees and also um, the, the surcharges um, that could be amended to um, entice more people to invest here. Okay. Michelle, thank you very much for your time today. Um, you. Have you got any other parting words of wisdom for us before you go I can see the rooms already going dark for us I know it's almost like I've just said you know I'm packing up shop I'm turning the lights off no this yeah. is this is the beauty of having um, sustainable buildings that um, when I'm not moving enough the uh, the lights like to go out um, no any uh, parting words look you know I guess we're in a situation where we've seen a lot of wealth being accumulated whether it be at the very top end or also just in our um, you know, mum and dads have, have certainly accumulated a lot of um, wealth as well over the past uh, couple of years. And it's just about, I guess, over this year and, and certainly next year as well as to how they spend that. Um, you know, we know that people are, are starting to go on their holidays again. Uh, we know that, you know, from a first home buyer situation, if you didn't get into the market and do you keep saving um, to try and get on the ladder and maybe look to another city or, as you say, further out? Um, or do you, you know, perhaps go for that holiday that you have been, um, you know, wanting to do to, to recharge the batteries? I think there's 
the market itself, I think, is becoming um, a little um, tired as people are as well. Mm. Um, so I think that we will see, um, you know, some slowdown um, just purely because of the, you know, the energy is coming out. But look, until the other side of the, the federal election, I really can't see um, too much um uh, too much change to our market. I think that there's still people that are looking for the right property, uh, but at the same time, we've also got um, so, some uncertainty that people are, are, are uneasy to make that commitment at this point in time. So um, I think looking to the second half of the year, I think we'll still see growth in all of our cities this year, mm -hmm. uh, but we certainly won't see that rebound growth that we've seen um, over the past year. Okay. Thank you again. It's been great Thank talking you. to you. Thank you for all your work and the research that you're putting out. Um, I look forward to sinking my teeth into the, the wealth report. It's a dense document, lots and lots of really helpful pieces of information. So anyone out there, go tonight, Frank, download that wealth report and um, keep on listening, subscribe, send it to all your friends and uh, have a great day. <laughs> Thank you so much.